Welcome to the PreparedX podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello, and welcome to episode 71 of the PreparedX podcast. I'm Rob Burton, and just before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the International Crisis Management Conference, and the conference this year has been pushed back to the fall due to uh, the pandemic. So this year, it's going to be October 27th through 29th. Uh, 2020. And again, uh, for the second year, we'll be in Rhode Island. This is our fifth uh, conference. And uh, if you go to crisisconferences.com, you'll find out more information. And uh, we hope to uh, see you in Rhode Island in late October. So today, I'm joined by Michael Gladstone for a second time. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Rob, for having me. Yeah, no problem. I was just checking back. It was 2018 when we had you on the show uh, previous. So uh, it's been a couple of years. So I'm sure lots of lots has happened um, yes. in those two years. Um, <laughs> but uh, just before we get started, I, I know you're still with WeWork and you've got a few, few other things going on in your yeah. career. So for the audience, why don't uh, you do a reminder for some and uh, just introduce yourself to those that are not familiar with you. Tell them a little bit about your career to date and uh, and what you're up to. Yeah, definitely. I've spent um, the last almost four years at this point at WeWork. I'm the Director of Emergency Management and Planning. And what's really amazing about how we've structured the team is we are a full life cycle crisis and emergency management team. Everything from preparing for the crisis to dealing with the crisis itself to the business continuity and recovery phase. So we've created a great life cycle program. Prior to working for WeWork, I was in the U.S. government as a crisis and emergency manager, focusing on all kinds of great and interesting things. And then prior to that was a educator in the New York City public school system. And I've also um, had the pleasure of joining some of my colleagues in starting a security consultancy called Risk Resource Group. Well, you have lots going on, and um, I, I know on the family side as well, you, you're very busy. So, um, you know, I, I congratulate you on all fronts. So, um, okay, I, I know um, the subject today, you know, we, we're listening about, or we're hearing, you know, from the government here in the U.S. and certainly other parts of the world as well. Um, you know, we've heard certainly from Asia, certain parts of Asia, with the stop-start of, uh, you know, recovery as it relates to kind of going back to some kind of new uh, new normal uh, within the the business world. Um, so, but before we get into transition uh, from response to recovery as it relates to COVID nineteen, um, you know, what's the latest in terms of the response to the pandemic from your standpoint as an emergency manager? Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting question to ponder, especially in the field that we're in, Rob. So, I like to use the emergency management and business continuity analogy the metaphorical house on fire in which we say emergency management is stating the house is on fire. What do I do so that I and others aren't injured? And in a very real way, global governments and health authorities have made a lot of progress to keep us safer and understand how we can mitigate the impact of the metaphorical house being on fire. And the same goes for emergency managers like myself in the private sector. We've responded to um, a very unique set of circumstances, found ways in which we can keep 
our, our employees, our C-suite, and our members and clientele safe, or at least minimize the impact of this pandemic, while also helping to keep our businesses running in, in a variety of different capacities. And the emergency itself, obviously, continues. But what's really great, and in talking with a lot of colleagues, is as emergency managers, we've got a lot of phenomenal playbooks, we've got a lot of phenomenal procedures, and we're hearing about and continuously developing and, and learning about new government resources that are coming out. And so as an emergency manager, we're beginning, I feel, to enter the phase where we can get to business continuity, where we say, to use the metaphor again, the house is on fire, but right. how do I ensure that I have a place to live tomorrow? And we're understanding a lot more now how businesses are going to start getting back to operating. And I never like to say, as business as usual, because I don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon or if ever again. So operating in the new normal with COVID-19, um, because really planning for post-COVID, I think is a few steps down the road for most sure. enterprises. Sure. And so we need to understand what have we put in place in the emergency phase that needs to be right-sized for long-term use and sustainability. That's a huge component right now is figuring out what practices did we put into, into place that are sustainable for six, 12, 18 months. And, and finally, I would say, as we're planning for this potential phase two or phase three of COVID, where we're thrown back into emergency response mm -hmm. in many places, if restrictions that are outside our control are lifted, or if they're eased too soon, how are we going to respond and ensure that what we did the first time around is even more robust and helps preserve our business and preserve our clientele and preserve our members as best as possible. But on the whole, I'd say from where we are now, looking back for over the last four months, really, if we, if, if right. we can fathom sure. that, yeah. um, we're moving towards some form of continuity operations. We're not in recovery phase yet. And we might not be for some time, but we're in that business continuity phase. Sure. Uh, excellent information. And just for um, the listeners, uh, we're recording this um, on April 21st, so 421. Uh, I know this um, won't come out until next week, I believe. So uh, just uh, as a reference, if uh, folks are listening to this and are wondering what uh, the time frame is. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, because we can we can often, you know, start to talk about things. And, and obviously, we, we, we're operating in a rapidly changing uh, world right now. It's um, true. So I, I'm interested from your perspective, Perspective, Michael, with regards to some of the more unusual challenges uh, that you've been faced with in terms of the response and the management of COVID-19. Uh, you know, we got the, you know, we have traditional uh, events that we, you know, try and prepare for uh, active shooter, natural disasters, cyber, you know, whatever it may be based on your, you know, your business uh, risk. But, um, you know, you know, you know, pandemics, um, you know, we've done a few of these scenarios over the years for our customers, but um, it's certainly one that doesn't pop up as uh, as probably fr as frequently as it will in the, in the next few years. Um, so, what, but from your perspective, what have been some of the unusual challenges? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you bring this up, Rob, because in going and doing a lot of exercises, both with you and with other people, we always say pandemic is in that low risk, uh, sorry, that, that low occurrence, but super high risk category. And so the issues that we faced in the early parts of the pandemic and, and even today, very different than we thought we would face. For example, travel. Suddenly in middle of March, early March, 
regulations were coming down fast and furious from various different health authorities and, and governments. And as a company, we had people on travel all over the globe. But a lot of um, people were still operating as if business was normal and, and everything was it was perfectly fine. And how did we get people home when regulations were constantly changing minute by minute? And at the same time, um, having a difficulty with getting travelers to buy into the fact that we want to make sure that you're safe. It, it was a challenge for duty of care because where does duty of care stop? We had people being sent home from business trips, but at the same time asking our security teams, can, what, what do you advise if I want to go on a personal trip to Italy at this point? And right. we could tell them, probably not the best idea, but we can't right. say no, we, right. we advise you against it. It's different when you have an earthquake, right? Um, there's clear damage, there's pictures, the news says don't go there, but it's hard for people to understand when there's a virus, what they should and shouldn't be doing. So travel was a huge and unexpected challenge uh, because of the fact that the second point, which is a challenge, information. What information do people trust? There was a lot of misinformation, a lot of disinformation, and a distrust of the populace at the early stages. A lot of people are saying, oh, this is just the flu, or this is just right. the cold. And other people were saying, batten down the hatches. Yep. And that in what made it really difficult for us to implement proper duty of care, as well as to get everyone on board at the same time. And I think the last challenge that we've faced um, comes with the fact that at least here in the US, and this definitely has occurred in various different countries around the globe on different time scales, but rapidly changing orders from federal or state officials as to what can and cannot happen. In the middle of March on a weekday, the Bay Area gave less than six hours before their almost complete lockdown was instituted. Right. Um, Singapore, for example, has gone in the past two weeks from making it illegal for people to wear masks if you weren't sick, to now making it illegal to not wear a mask. And these <laughs> rapidly changing wow. orders, shutting things down and implementing personal protective equipment um, is very difficult for an emergency management team to pivot that quickly, regardless of how well you are prepared, because usually there's a bit of lead time, but six hours from an order coming down to implementation, especially on a weekday, right? almost impossible to overcome. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, there's uh, some, some crazy stories out there about the, the, the major shifts. Uh, you know, one of them, uh, and you mentioned earlier on um, that, you know, recovery may be a period of time away uh, for some organizations, um, you know, others, others may choose uh, if they've got the resources to at least start to look at this from a, you know, a, a you know, near or long-term planning uh, standpoint. But, you know, as, you know, you know, at some point in time when organizations choose to do this, you know, what should they be looking at in terms of, or in, in terms of prioritizing that, you know, that transition, you know, into whatever the new normal may look like for them, which again, would vary from, you know, industry to industry, mm -hmm. business to business, depending on, you know, again, those laws and regulations, we got lots of changes here coming in Rhode Island and every sector, absolutely every sector is going to be impacted in some way uh, right. with regards to this. So um, to make it as smooth as possible, and, you know, I guess, you know, you would be generalizing, um, you know, what that might look like, but um, as organizations do start to think about this, what, they, what should they be looking at? 
I think the, the there are three, again, and I like to use the rule of three a lot, as you know, but there are three key things people should start to be looking at is, number one, um, begin cross-functionally planning for whatever restart might look like now. Don't wait for the regulatory agencies. Right. Don't wait for governments to issue the plans. You need to start understanding as a business what are your key functions? Because inevitably what will happen is as you start talking with those key functions, they'll note a secondary function that is critical to them. And another meeting will note a secondary function that's critical to them. And you'll realize those same secondary functions are actually critical functions. And so um, you need to ensure that people are planning across the board all areas of your enterprise, how are we going to live with COVID and the business? Because very real, anyone who is saying that their function is not impacted by this pandemic is putting their head in the sand. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you as an emergency manager or as anyone tasked with business continuity or a security professional, by hook or by crook, get these people to the table and start early. And I'm saying start now, even if your business or your C-suite is saying, we're not gonna open for three or four weeks, five or six weeks, a month, two months, four months, now's the time to start planning because you'll be ahead of the game when things start to really ramp up. Don't want to play catch up. That's that second point is try not to get behind the curve, yep. get in front of the curve. And I think another very important point is to vet your plans. One of the biggest problems that a business can encounter is that a phenomenal plan is put into place or put in action, but it was never properly vetted with the entirety of the organization. Of course, we don't want to create vacuums of information. We don't want to share um, anything too narrowly. People will argue, don't share too broadly. The right. plan will get out before it's ready. Yes, you don't need to share every bit of information with every person. But once this plan is put into place, you need to pressure test it with people who you trust, with other folks in your cross-functional teams, other departments that you trust. And what's really great about this is as you pressure test your plans, You'll find the flaws before they become problems that are evident to your clientele, to your C-suite. And in the end, you'll have a really great product where you can become a leader, ensuring that your employees and your clients and your members know that you are planning for this new normal with COVID as best as possible and as cross-functionally as possible. Because in the end, this is all about a brand concern. Is your brand doing everything it can for its employees? Is your brand doing everything to protect your market share? And is your brand doing everything it can to protect its clientele? If you're thinking cross-functionally, you will be able to answer those questions positively with a yes. If you're only thinking one-dimensionally in a vacuum, inevitably one of those answers will come back no, and you will have to make up a lot of lost time trying to fix that no to a yes. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, excellent information. Um, I just want to bounce a little bit here to some of the other types of challenges that uh, you know we're you know we're certainly hearing about. Um, you know, within again, you know, within this environment that we're just you know becoming you know familiar with now and um you know you know one of the one of the things i'm hearing about is the psychological impact that this is having um you know you have families that are at home now obviously they ch- all the children are home you know there's schooling from home there's other mm-hmm. pressures um so you know it's just a, a totally different dynamic um as it relates to um you know workers um operating in this you know in this new environment if you will um you know and you know are you, you know are you seeing anything like that in, in terms of challenges um and as it relates to you know you know potentially at some point transitioning back you know again mm. you know everybody's you know people are talking about well will that happen you know some organizations may not uh, you know there may be a smaller group transition back and you know who knows what what's that going to look like from a you know from a testing standpoint you know are, are some staff members you know that have been tested you know or that's those staff members that haven't been tested and you've got these groups now um, mm. that you know are reluctant to kind of come back into that you know that office environment again um, you know are you hearing anything on that front or preparing for anything on the you know the psychological related challenges yeah i mean we're, we're hearing a lot about it i will you know make sure that the audience understands i am not a phd in psychology i'm not a medical <laughs> professional in any way right. but um we there is definitely a psychological impact and component to this crisis that while other crises have undertones of this and and by all by all means um everyone should be aware that Every crisis, regardless of its magnitude, has some kind of a psychological impact on your coworkers, on your employees, on your membership. Um, so that's always should be a concern, regardless of the crisis. But because this is a crisis in which there is a lot of uncertainty, I'll take a hurricane for example. A hurricane has a certain amount of time in which it's going to do damage you don't know the extent of that damage but you can mentally prepare yourself that something could happen and this crisis people don't know how long you might be staying forced to stay home don't know how long they'll have to be both breadwinner and educator in the same you know 24-hour period um so there are a lot of psychological impacts and rob you brought up a great point that the idea that Work from home right now gives people comfort and safety. Um, Everything, unfortunately, has consequences in a COVID world. Literally going to the grocery store for certain groups of people could have fatal consequences. And so people will definitely be mentally reluctant to get into their car, drive to the train station, get on what may or may not be a very crowded train, go to work near other people, even with the six feet of social distancing people are gonna put in place, there will be times when you have to go close to somebody else, either to get to a facility or an amenity, and then do the reverse commute when people get back home. Um, As opposed to sitting in their their office in their home, saving time on on their commute, and likely being just as relatively productive as before. So the psychology of how do we get people out of their homes and back to the workplace is a a huge challenge. And your HR and people teams are critical. When I said earlier about talking cross-functionally, 
everyone needs to be working and and with the, with your people partners now that's a critical component because there are some organizations in which the policy is written by employment employee relations lawyers and investigators who take business decisions convert it into policy and then people partners implement that mm. it's very important that as an emergency or crisis manager you understand how your hr or people structure flows to know who should you be talking to about implementing a more robust emergency excuse me, employee assistance program, or what policies will be in place when work from home ends. And, and, and as well as the challenge of, if you have a great employee assistance program, does that employee assistance program know enough about dealing with the potential post-traumatic stress of COVID? Right. I don't think any medical professional knows enough about it yet. It's gonna have to be generic advice. And so there is, definitely going to be some angst about getting back into the office, as well as the fact that, um, and I know we'll talk a little bit about getting back to operations as well, but what does the new normal look like in terms of going back to the office? Will you commute four days out of the week, once every other week? Nobody knows yet. And I think each business is going to have to evaluate how that is impactful to their operations in order to help to mitigate the risk to an individual's psychology. And, and I, you know, we've talked about this and I've talked about this with other colleagues is that um, at some point there is going to be a barrier by which the business is able to overcome an individual's fears or angst about COVID. And at some point employees are going to have to make that leap themselves. Um, and it's finding the balance between making sure the business continues to run and making sure that people feel safe and secure in the business post uh, during during living with COVID in the new normal, that is going to be very challenging for businesses across the board. Sure, sure. And uh, I, I know we're, uh, you know, um, you know, we have uh, a little bit of restriction on time here. So I'm going to jump ahead here. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, do you have a synopsis of the other types of challenges that uh, uh, businesses may be uh, faced with as they start to think about recovering to, to normal operations? Yeah, I think, you know, really, as you pointed out, who's going to be critical? What are the critical functions day over day that need to be in the space each and every day. Because if you can keep people at home, limit the amount of density you have in your workspace, then maybe you're actually helping to keep the curve flat while keeping your business running. Um, also, how is your business's response going to help either retain employees or potentially lose employees? Um, you know, we've seen Amazon take a lot of heat recently, but at the same time, demand for home delivery is surging. Sure. So there is a um, interesting thought about how response either geared towards the consumer or the employee will help you in the long term. And no one really knows and that's a big challenge. And, and finally, um, density requirements. Um, how are these going to impact buildings that are 40 stories high that pack 50 people into an elevator during rush hour? Um, how is that going to impact the way you can function, the time in which you can function, how people go to lunch? Normal things that we don't think about during a normal uh, business as usual are now going to be critical. And finally, um, the idea about the pickup meeting, right? Our, our yep. business acumen is based on the fact that I can bump into Rob in the hallway and have a, a really productive meeting. 
I don't think people are going to really want to bump into one another <laughs> and spend a lot of time in close quarters talking about a great idea. So that's yeah. going to be a real overall change until we get a, a vaccine or we have herd immunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, we, we went to the open office space concept a number of years ago, and uh, here we are going back the opposite way, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's all have individual, um, you know, isolated cubes um, that are, you know, on lockdown. But, uh, uh, okay, this has been good. Let, one last question um, as it relates to opportunities. Mm. Um, you know, look, you know, it's, it's, you know, we talk a lot about the challenges, talk a lot about, um, you know, the the difficulties that we're having, you know, in business and, you know, in our personal lives, but, you know, you know, there must be opportunities, you know, we, we hear that statement, you know, during crises, there are opportunities. Um, so, you know, what's, what might some of those be for, for businesses um, as it relates to, you know, uh, a new working environment, a new operating environment? I think that's a fantastic um, idea, Rob, because it's, um, you want to capitalize and you ever want to say, oh, it's great. There's a crisis occurring. We can capitalize on this, but you really have to, you have to be a leader and an innovator. Um, one big space that I see is flexible working space. The idea that you might not want to put all 4,000 people into one environment again. So your company may need to look for flexible options in a broad geographic area. So I think a lot of the co-working spaces of which to be very transparent, we work as one of them, um, are going to see an actual surge in demand from large corporations who still want to have business as usual, but might want to disperse their workforce a little bit more. Um, second would be innovating in philanthropy. Um, people want to support projects and enterprises that are overcoming healthcare worker issues, PPE shortages, um, and innovation is going to win a lot of brand points for people. And finally, um, can people um, capitalize on the attention for emergency management? This is your opportunity as an emergency manager to have a, a tour de force and we shouldn't let it slip away. And so don't get greedy, don't get greedy, but provide as much value as you can to your C-suite, your employees and your clients. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, I, I really appreciate uh, your time today. Great episode. Um, if folks want to get a hold of you, um, where can they get a hold of you? I know you're fairly active uh, on LinkedIn, but uh, we'll also add your information at the back of the, um, the podcast here. Yeah, uh, we obviously reached on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also available at empteam at wework.com. That's echo Mike, Papa, and then the word team at wework.com. And that hits our entire emergency management and planning team. Or if you want to just reach me, michael.gladstone at wework.com. Excellent. Again, really appreciate uh, your time today. And uh, we'll obviously uh, be chatting again soon, Michael. Um, thanks um, again for uh, you know taking time out of your, your busy day because I know you're super busy there. Um, uh, one last thing before we wrap up here. Um, and um, I just want to say thank you to everyone, all the listeners. Uh, I encourage that you rate us on iTunes and uh, any of the other outlets where you're listening to this. We, uh, we really appreciate the feedback and uh, we look forward to uh, being on again for episode 72. Uh, we've got some more uh, good uh, interviews uh, in the coming uh, weeks here. So again, we appreciate uh, your time. Uh, thanks again, Michael, and take care. Thanks so much, Rob. Thanks everyone, take care.